Hello and welcome to Tools in the Shed, a podcast powered by Car Guide, ready to rip in the car stuff that's caught our eye this week. I'm James and with me is Chesto. Hello all. And Steve. Welcome to my shed. <laughs> this week, teasing turns to confirmation that Toyota's serious about a hot hatch Corolla and I've got to say it's about time. We'll also talk through some highlights from the Cars Guide Garage this week, uh, and we'll catch up with California's most law-abiding citizen in this week's Muskwatch, so stay (laughs) with us. But first of all, some feedback. Now, last week we were talking about what looks to be Ford's baby ute, a sub-ranger and possibly focus-based ute that's going to be called, we think, Maverick. So we had some feedback on that. First of all, from Matt Murdoch, and I've got to say that Matt's name, he sounds like a 70s TV detective. Matt Murdoch is absolutely <laughs> he fantastic. He was in the A-team, wasn't he? Wasn't he in the A-team? There was a Murdoch. He was in the A-team, yeah. yes. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe we're dealing with an A-team member. Um, doesn't mm. think the focus ute would work here, mainly because the Hilux and the Ranger, he believes, are so much about the image. It's really not what's underneath them. He says, you know, you could have the same suspension set up as Fred Flintstone's car, and people would still buy it. The only off-roading they see is when it's on the verge near the shops. Correct. Um, that, that the focus would, he believes, be a much better ute, but buyers won't care. And I suppose he's really opening up that conversation about you are what you drive, that yep. it's, uh, it's an image thing, it's an emotional choice, that are these vehicles really being used to their best potential or just bought for the image that they kind of apply to you as an individual? Absolutely, JC. The Raptor's a prime example of that, isn't it? How many people are really putting that thing through its paces off-road? Sure. I mean, that's like virtually sure. a, a roadworthy Baja truck. You can't tell me the people <laughs> driving through the city are doing that on the weekend, surely. Yeah. But as I've said before, when, whenever you see someone that has to just go up the gutter or, you know, back the trailer, and you can just see the cogs in their mind going, oh, thank God I've got the four-wheel drive. Yeah, this is, this is <laughs> yeah. exactly why yeah, I needed right. the four-wheel drive. And they're that's just justifying right. their purchase. Or when there's, but, a, uh, when there's a half inch of standing water on the road, they go, good oh, thing we got the four-wheel drive. I'm ready. <laughs> I've got this ground clearance, think, you know. So, yeah, sorry, everyone, everyone loves the way the Ranger looks. If you get it, and, but, but some people are intimidated by the size. Like, they really want one, but it's just a bit too big for their suburb or their, you know. But if you get them a smaller one, they would be mad for it. And if you call it Maverick, you just need to get Tom Cruise on board. Line up, yes. line up the launch of the new Top Gun movie for last <laughs> you were like I said last week, we should call it Goose. You know, there should be another another yeah. partner to it that's called Goose. Um, now, but James, James Gowing uh, chimed in and said, my father had a 60s Toyota Crown Ute. It didn't have four-wheel drive but drove everywhere on our farm. So yep. he says, you know, would a Ford Maverick Ute need to be four-wheel drive? just comes down to the gearing in his view. So there's someone who's used an old-school rear-wheel drive ute um, without needing the four-wheel drive at all. And for the record, every time I've taken a car across a paddock, rear-wheel drive is more fun. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely more fun. But I was going to say also I remember a 1960s Toyota classic called the Stout. They had a ute called the Toyota Stout. And um, a friend of mine's father had one, and it looked just that. It looked tough, you know, built professional-grade kind of little ute and australia's got a bit of a history with small utes the subaru brumby and the proton jumbuck um, are big favorites and they've still got a devoted following trivia question for you two and the audience the mighty mighty boy mighty boy when the toyota stout was launched in 1954 when did it cease production wow i want to say i'm going to say 74 74 Stephen. yeah 
63. I, 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 that was my initial thought too. 1989, if you can believe it. Whoa! Power what? Through, no, all the way to the, to the almost 1990s. But yeah, it, there you go. It'd have to be I, different iterations, right? Yeah, of course, it. yeah. Pardon me? But when you picture it out, I, I imagine there's a car that's like eight feet wide and three feet tall. Like, there's such a great, yeah. such a descriptive name. But, it, Steve, you mentioned, you mentioned the Mighty Boy. When uh, to a, a Suzuki in New Zealand was mucking around with um, the Jimny and putting a tray back on it, of course, one of our listeners thought it should be the Mighty Bro, that that was an absolute <laughs> uh, walk-up start. Absolutely. One dandel in the back. One dandel and a chili bun. <laughs> one dandel and a chili bun. Um, uh, that'd be fantastic, cuz, hey? Anyway, <laughs> David, now cars in the garage last week, one of them was uh, the Toyota Granvia. So David Burt said, what's the point of the Toyota Granvia, I hear you ask? Once I saw the interior shots of the rear seating, I finally got it. It's a mobile home theatre. Mm-hmm. And it does have that look with the captain-style chairs, um, very plush, all of that stuff. Bartonez123 came back and said, I'd take the seats out, put them in the theatre room in the house, and use the van to transport white goods and FedEx parcels, or alternatively, <laughs> if you're feeling really JDM, just fill the van area with one massive subwoofer <laughs> big enough to literally melt your bones. Base that melts the tarmac, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Mate, i got to say on that Granvia, I know it's not a like-for-like like replacement for the Tarago, which I also appreciate has something of a cult following, but, geez, the Tarago towards the end of its days was a hateful thing. It felt old and ordinary. So anything well, that's not that is a step in the right direction. And I think any Toyota dealer brave enough to order one into stock would have had it on their hands for some time. Yeah. It, was, it was not a hot item towards no, the end of towards its Towards the end. No, it was not. But, but the Grandia... The Grandia is actually the car that my daughter wants most. Like she, she, usually she's begging for a Rolls Royce or anything. But every time she sees that car, she says, please, please, can we get one of those? It's her favourite wow. thing ever. I reckon it's because... It looks like a home cinema on wheels. Well, well Richard, was talking about, Richard was talking about driving it last week and he said his little boy wanted to go into the way back seat right up the end. And much to Richard's surprise, he was stopped at the lights and his little boy was just next to him like, g'day, Dad. He'd unbuckled himself <laughs> and just walked down, walked down the vehicle. Yeah, you <laughs> so there, are, there are risks you involved. through a vehicle, it's good, yeah. <laughs> There are risks involved. The Model involved. X is like that, Dave. The Model X is a great. They love the Model X too because they can get in and just walk around. You know, okay. the, the, doors, the doors open up and you can just walk between the seats. It's like, it feels like yes. flying business class. There is something very nice about that. Now, David Burt, who is a regular multiple commenter, has actually labelled himself this time and said, second comment, um, exclamation point. Um, the Lexus LX, he's saying... It's, it might be expensive, but it, the pricing of the Lexus just highlights how, how dear the Land Cruiser 200 series is mm-hmm. because this price spread of the Land Cruiser 200 is about 78 up to about 130 And he believes that the diesel version of the LX, which is what Crafty was in last week, he was in the 570, the petrol, but David Burt thinks the LX 450 with low kilometres could be your, your, your brilliant your kind of wagon because in that car you're only a fraction above the top end of the Land Cruiser. Absolutely. But, mate, I know we had this conversation this morning, JC, but for me that just shines a light on how expensive that 200 series is. The fact yeah, that's that you can pay $130,000 for a car that old is, I mean, yeah. I know things, things are worth what people will pay for them, but, gee, that seems like highway robbery. Well, I mean, David Burt's saying you get you get your flashy interior, you get all of the creature yeah. comforts in in the Lexus. It's essentially just as capable 
underneath the skin. Yep. So why not? I think it's a really interesting point. Absolutely. And if you're not going to bash the panels, why not? It's perfect. Yeah. That's right. Okay. We'll hammer it. touches on a news story, James. touches on a news story that I've just written for Cars Guide about um, the, the one-off tax write-off for, for your business, which is now up to $150,000 per car. And I spoke to this accountant who said, there's a limit on cars, which is 57000 And she said, that's most supposed to be the price for an expensive car. He said, but they mm. set that when you, when, you know, you and stuff were not flash vehicles. He said, now you can buy a commercial vehicle. You can buy a ute up to 150 grand. And he said, basically, the way that those cars exist has, has beaten the tax loophole and driven oh, right around. I see. So you I can get a really commercial vehicle as a truck, but you can only get a $57,000 car. Yeah. That's so interesting, isn't now, it? Yes. That, that, that story. Amazing. That those tax uh, guidelines need to catch up with uh, modern reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've only got to back to one thousand dollars and shop now. Okay, yes, shop now. Okay. Well, Hammer Rock said you can tell even Lexus doesn't see LX model owners taking them off the road. The front bumper design, the LX alone, is enough to convince you of that. How quickly will its bumper see damage compared to the two hundred series? So. Look, if David Burt does buy his Lexus, he'd have to modify the front bumper because yeah. um, it's it's not exactly uh, tailored for off-road. But also but wax- worth remembering, Jake. Oh, sorry. Also no, no, worth remembering ahead. that uh, there's off-road and then there's off-road, if you know what I mean. I, I actually think that the Lexus would handle almost anything you wanted to do with it unless you wanted to be really properly off-road, in which case... I'd like to see someone rock-hopping rock a Lexus LX. Yeah, that's that right. That would be exactly. fantastic. If- <laughs> off-road means the car park at Threadbone. Yeah, correct. <laughs> That's exactly. true. That's true. No, off-road means the, the grass verge on the median when you're in a traffic jam and you have to turn around and come yeah, back. Yeah, that's, right. that's right. That's right. Oh, thank God that's I've got hard. this four-wheel drive. I always, <laughs> always knew that this was a canny decision because we, we need the four-wheel drive. The extra um, 40000 I paid is worth everything. Worth it, just for that moment. Um, Wax333 says, any ideas why we don't get the Lexus Prado-based GX460 spec? Now, um, it is it is based on the Prado. It's sold mainly in the US market. And I got in touch with Lexus, and they reckon that the, all the bases for large SUVs are covered by RX and LX. They don't yeah. need another model in there. They've got different engine configurations in petrol and diesel, so it's, it's added complexity that they don't want at this point in time. So... That, I'd agree that's with that. their point of view. Plus, I suspect yeah. they're not All selling right. the existing model's hand over fist anyway, JC, so why, uh, yes. why rush another yeah. one in? Yep, yep, good point. Now, under the, the, the heading of just general feedback, Lennon Fuller says hi. That's it. Great. Thanks, Hello. Thanks hi. very much, Lennon. Hi. Uh, hi there. Now, Logan, Logan came at us a couple of times at, saying on both occasions, want to be friends. So I think that want to be friends was probably uttered with a Russian accent. And that was uh, probably not a person. But in case Logan is a person, sure, sure, we'll be friends at some stage. But I'm not going to respond directly to that. Um, was there a picture TGV, with a tiger? A big, <laughs> TGV gave us the tick of approval. He said, all good, good show. So um, he's given us a hygiene check on last week's show. Thank you very much. Great. Millen Rogers uh, follows that by saying, great job as usual. Thank you. I've enjoyed your podcast so much that three weeks ago I rewatched all your podcasts from the first one about the ugliest Aussie cars to this one now. It's a 40-minute drive from work, so thanks for keeping me company for oh, those great. three weeks. Like, this is, this is podcast 133, so he's gone through wow. quite a few uh, to get to that point. Also, he says the AU, this is controversial, the AU is one of the best-looking Falcons, especially the XR. Oh. 
and Tickford models. In my opinion, the only ugly AU was the Series 1 Forte with that whale-looking grille. I know I'm two years late, but thought, would let, thought I'd let you know my opinion out there. <laughs> now, I noticed that his picture on YouTube is actually an XR badge from the AU uh, era. Okay. So it may just be that Millen is an owner of one of those vehicles. You never know. Yeah, I suspect uh, that might be the but case. That's a, person, that's a person who, given, given a range of human emotions, would choose a frown over a smile. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that's what they wow. look like. Just a clown. <laughs> well, I think talking about that grill, I think at the time there was the, the one the one ton or the flat big one ton version of AU had a particular grill in it and people were buying that grill to put it into their sedan because the that, that particular grill was so disliked. Yeah. Um, listeners and viewers can probably correct me, but uh, finally we had Pranad Shroti come at us saying, interested in knowing, apart from cars, what are your other interests? I've not seen any bike content on this channel. And I know both of you guys are keen motorcycle riders. So, um, Phil, Phil Pranev in, you've, you've, Steve, you've got an extensive history with motorcycles. Well, I only, I only ride about cars because I started riding about motorbikes. And when I, when I was riding motorbikes, my, the motoring editor asked me to review a car and I said, go to hell, you tin top soft wanker etc etc i was i was against cars i thought anyone who drove cars was trying to kill me so yes i'm yep. I, I very much a, I, I the only reason i don't ride bikes much still is that i know that i would kill myself because uh, yes. the skills are not the yes. same as yes. it. and it is a miracle frankly that i'm still alive after road testing motorbikes is not a sane way to make a living and, <laughs> and in canberra no less Stephen, in winter which does require yeah, a particularly hairy test yeah. that's how now, much i wanted you... to do it you, you're currently a motorcycle owner, aren't you? Uh, I've just actually sold it, but uh, I, I did dabble in motorbikes for a little while, and then once the the points started, the demerit points started flying off my license, I yes. quickly realised I should uh, swap yes. back to cars. So it was a it was a brief dabble. I should point out, James, that was on a posty bike that you made. Yeah, that's was. right. <laughs> <laughs> you really. Well, I see, St Steve. I absolutely take your point. I see motorbikes as a bit like hard drugs in that they are, I'm sure, very, very pleasurable. But they'll also empty your wallet, kill you, break yeah. up your relationships, do all kinds of nasty things to you. Um, so I've gone cold turkey. That having, you know, ridden bikes at various times, I've said, I don't want to go there because I know what the end game will be. Yeah, oh, that's why I said that motorbikes for me are like heroin. I am and always yeah. will be a motorbike addict. But cars you are, are my methadone program. <laughs> as long as I can Very go good. fast, really fast, and really fast in a car, like an eleven out of ten car is at least a four out of ten motorbike experience. Motorbike, so I'm happy. Yeah. I almost get there. Four, fair the call. Fair one. call. Yeah. Now we'll we'll move now to our main topic of discussion, which is it's been a rolling story for us at Cars Guide, hasn't mm -hmm. it, Chesto? And it you've has. been the author. You've been the author of much of this, which is um, Toyota applying its Gazoo Racing formula. They've already come clean with the Yaris, and uh, yep. you've driven that car. But next logical step would be the Corolla, and you've had some hints that um, it's been more or less confirmed, yeah? Yeah, look, it has been at last. So it was basically one of the industry's most poorly kept secrets. We knew that once they'd put all that development funding into the Yaris GR, it wasn't just going to live in that vehicle. It would be, you know, what a terrible waste of money without sharing it across the rest of the range. So then we started getting whispers and rumours that a Corolla GR was in the offing, or a GR Corolla, I should say, was in the offing. 
Then Toyota in Australia registered the Corolla GR nameplate or trademarked it with the trademark office here in Australia. So that was another indication it was coming, but nothing from Toyota. Toyota wouldn't, would, wouldn't seal the deal for us. Until yep. last weekend when Toyota in America via their Twitter account sent out a very sort of cryptic tweet saying that while the Yaris, the GR Yaris isn't going to come to America, perhaps it is time the US got a hot hatch of its own, a hot hatch yes. to call its own, the tweet read. A hot hatch that continues to push the boundaries of performance and one that can only come from Toyota Gazoo Racing. Are you mm. with us? The tweet asked. Now, given that the uh, Toyota hatch lineup isn't particularly extensive, it doesn't take too much detective work to figure out that they were talking about the Corolla, GR Corolla, which, yep. is, which, which then acts as this kind of accidental confirmation for this vehicle. And when you piece that, that bit of the puzzle with everything else we already know, this thing's 100% lock. It'll be uh, expected to appear around 2021, 2022. Right. Actually, 2022, 2023, I should say. Now, because of what we learned on the Yaris GR launch, and that is that the, the chief, chief uh, engineer there, and I'm going to get this name wrong, so please forgive me, Na, Naohiko Saito told us that... Chester, uh, that's totally wrong. Thank you. <laughs> and, and, and you forgot no, this, the San. Where was yeah. the San? Where's the respect? Oh, yes. No, I think it's only San if you don't use the full name, isn't it? It becomes Naohiko San, doesn't it? Anyway, let's not get oh, I think it's still Kill Bill San. So, uh, so anyway, and I'm, I'm <laughs> quoting here. He said, mm, it is wasting, wasting time to use a four-wheel drive system and this 1.6-litre engine for one car. I'd like to use this powertrain for each of the other GR models. So what he's basically saying there is that we know what's going to power the Corolla GR. It's the same powertrain as the Yaris GR. And that's good news because it's a, uh, it's a pretty punchy little engine, 200 kilowatts, 370 newton metres, a four-wheel drive system adapted from the, uh, from the RAV4, Toyota's TNGA platform, a manual gearbox. I mean, God, it's ticking some hot hatch boxes, isn't it? It is, and it, look, we're talking three cylinders, aren't we? Did you already yes. mention that? Sorry, same but engine. It's, yeah, it's 1.6 three cylinder charge, three cil. Which will, I'm telling you, when you drive this Yaris, Yaris, this Yaris, it will bet your ass. You'll bet your ass that it will it will redefine the way you look at three cylinders engines. Honestly, it is right. ridiculously powerful. It's amazing. Unreal, unreal. So Very there cool. you go. Corolla so is coming. Um, and so that was America, but you'd have to presume that um, we'd be looking down the barrel of, of getting that car as well, yeah? Let me shift focus to Australia for a second. So, yes, we know that they have already trademarked the badge GR Corolla in yep. Australia. That, yes. They're being a bit cagey about it, but they're going on the record to say, and I'm quoting again here, we have always said that if international GR product were to become available, we would have our hand up for it. So they want it. They've, re they've trademarked it. We know we're getting the GR Yaris. So mm. watch this space. It's a lot, not only is it coming, but it's a lock for Australia. And frankly, I think that's a really, really good thing. Toyota is Fantastic. back on the kind of I reckon it's exciting. performance train. I was behind a Corolla ZR in traffic, a rare sighting, because really that's near the top of the tree for, mm -hmm. for the Corolla. And it looked great. I can only oh. imagine with a slightly tougher exterior and, you know, all of the, the horsepower lurking under the bonnet. Yeah, it'll be something special. But I reckon it looks awesome, the Corolla. The only downside to it is the uh, it's a, a lack of practicality, I suppose. But in the, terms the, the of boot, yeah, in terms of yeah. style and driving, I think it's an absolute winner. And look, the sales yeah. prove it, don't they? Well, look, in terms of style and driving, I think we'll move on to some cars that have been residing in our garage. And Steve, we'll kick it off with you because you've been in something. Just, just re it's almost a novel to get through this car's name. <laughs> tell us, tell us what you've been in. 
Well, it's usually I meant something very entry level. It's a uh, Porsche, <laughs> it's a of the people. KN, <laughs> Porsche Cayenne Turbo SE Hybrid, which is a, right. it's a bizarre idea of getting a green glow out of something expensive that burns lots of fuel. And literally, when you open the door, it has these little green Cayenne stills that give a green glow. It's nice. like a, it's like a Hulk car. So that's nice. Yes. It's got a 404-kilowatt 4 4-litre twin-turbo V8, which is obviously very uh, friendly. And an extra <laughs> motor. This electric motor that gives you the extra 100 kilowatts, which literally lasted, I think, about 20 minutes. And then yes. it said electric power no longer available. Every time I start the car, it says electric power no longer available. It refuses to run in silent mode. It's now basically yes. just a very noisy V8KN with some badges. So yeah. no plug-in, no plug-in. It's just no, a, there is a, uh, there's, there's a plug in the boot. I just refuse to uh, plug. It just seems oh. point. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Do I want to drive such a lovely car silently? I mean, it's there. I used it as a skipping rope this morning. But you, can't, uh, you, can't, you, you can't complain about the batteries running down and then say, if you oh, don't charge it up. Oh, I'm not going to charge it. Who would charge it? So Who's going to charge it? This car's always running out of fuel. When's your last fill it up? Oh, 1982. I've got to say, Steve, I don't know. I don't know about you, but when, when Porsche lobbed the KN on an unsuspecting world, you know, way back when, yeah, but it didn't feel as though they really knew what they were doing with that format of car because it was so dramatically different. But I've got to say, by the time you get to the current generation in that coupe body, it feels like a Porsche. It's as if they've got the head around, this is what we're doing now, and it feels like a proper sporty car. Mm-hmm. And they managed to slice the ugly often. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like that coupe shape, they finally looked at it and go, oh, it doesn't have to be ugly. And they, yeah. and they said that the last, the launch of the last, we look at it again. Oh, why don't we do that? <laughs> I love, I love that that implies yeah. that when they were designing the first one, they went, "Look, I'm sorry, guys, it has to be ugly. It's going to be ugly. <laughs> it's got to be ugly." <laughs> Can you imagine telling the Porsche designers have to make an SUV? They've been working on beautiful cars their whole lives. They had to make an SUV. Well, screw yeah, you. That's right. They had to make it so you. ugly. But I that's forget right. the guy's name now. Who was the CEO of Porsche at the time that Panamera was in development? And he said, it has to be able to accommodate me. And he was a very tall guy. And hence, they had this tremendously awkward rear end on the, on the back of the Panamera because they had to make it big enough to accommodate this particular person. And that... so, sorry, no, all I was going to say was when he departed the scene, the Panamera became much more attractive. Yeah, it would have saved them a fortune in engineering cost to rear end. sack that guy. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Much shorter. <laughs> Just what, weigh it up. What's Sorry, his salary? What's the development cost? <laughs> yeah, that's right. But the Porsche do have a habit of making cars ugly to begin with. The Panamera is a prime example of it. Uh, that that has it, it's still not a total charmer, but it's certainly less offensive than it was when it uh, when it first launched. I think, in similar fashion to the KN, Porsche gradually got its head around, as you say, Chesto, got to grips with it, and driving the Panamera now, it feels like a Porsche. Yeah, and, and it also it also looks more. You can see that 911ness coming through more strongly in the design of the car. Absolutely, um, they just have their way with it over time. It's okay. You've got to make this now. Oh, okay, and they kind of it feels like they do it grudgingly. And yep. then once it's actually installed, they have their wicked way with it, and it becomes a Porsche. Yep. Although the one exception to that I rule, I think. Sorry, the one exception to that rule, I think, is the uh, I, I drove the Taycan last year. That, oh, yeah. is, that is a winner straight out of the gate. Right it, it okay. is such an impressive it's thing. Sports car. So the people at Porsche want to work on that. I reckon they put them in a room and they have to draw ping pong balls out of the thing and say, ah, you got, you <laughs> yes. got the SUV. You ah, got you, the SUV. Yeah, you're over there. But if you get the, if you get the sports car, then you're like, yeah, it's got it. 
All right, and now, a tire can would be like that'd be that'd be almost the most exciting thing to work on. Yeah, try and make it like bullshit. Yeah. That's right. It's so. not a sports car, Chesto, but you, no. you've been you've been in a car with a particular purpose and another lengthy name. Give us give us the the rundown on this vehicle's yes. uh, name. So I am in the uh, Nissan Pathfinder Entrek Special Edition, which is kind of the styling package that Nissan's applying to a whole bunch of their vehicles at the moment. Uh, yep. So launch, it, they started working on it, I think, about the same time as the Warrior, really. But while the Warrior is a genuine engineering change, this is more of a style pack. So or as Crafty the, calls it, the uh, the Warrior. The, the, the Warrior, yeah. Yeah, so, the Warrior. Like, this, is, yeah. this is the Pathfinder. We know uh, it's been around for a while now. We, we, you know, you kind of know and love it already. It, it has always been big seven-seat car. It's always been a kind of, uh, I guess, a Labrador in a kind of way. It's a, it's a bit, bit big, a bit dopey, but, but kind of lovable as well. Entrick uh, adds 18-inch alloy wheels, all sorts of black styling on, on the outer body, just makes the whole thing look a little bit cooler. Uh, 3.5 litre V6 engine, 202 kilowatts, 340 newton metres. It's a really tri- it's a tried and tested engine. Uh, it does the job. Less successful, I think, is the fact that it's partnered with the CVT gearbox, which is oh, wow. a, a bit really frustrating with an engine that size too, because it uh, it just always feels like it's groaning through the power. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. But there was uh, reports this week that actually the 2021 Pathfinder, which is basically a tickled version of the one we got now, swaps the CVT for a new slick nine-speed automatic, which is uh, used in the frontier in the states. So that'll transform the way that car drives. But look, it's a familiar favourite. It's huge, plenty of space, yep. seven seats yep. in the back. And quite frankly, with a price point that starts at about forty-six grand, it's it's not bad value for money either, really. Right. For a and car sorry, Chesto, just just remind me, what's the engine in that car? You in you that, probably mentioned it. I'm sorry. The, in the car I've got is a three point five liter V six, so uh, two hundred and two kilowatts, three forty meters. It, it, it's a it's a petrol engine. Petrol engine, sorry, yes. It's petrol yeah. engine. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah fantastic. Okay, because I was going to say if it was a CVT, it'd be so unusual to have it together with a diesel. But, but no, to have no. a CVT in a in a vehicle of that scale is is uh, unusual anyway. Yeah, yeah, well, and it That's is a bad yeah. idea. And you notice no. it. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. All right. Well, um, I've been in a pretty low key car this week. It's the Maserati ah. Levante Trofeo Launch Edition, and it's look just a tick under four hundred grand before you put mm. it on the road, and 3.8 litre twin turbo V8. Uh, you know, Steve, I see your 400 plus kilowatts and raise you to 440, which is just a touch under 600 horsepower. Um, eight speed auto, 730 newton meters, available from just 2400 RPM. So this thing is ferocious and sounds it. It really gets up and goes hard. And driving it is a bit like seeing. Chris Hemsworth in his Speedos, Rita Ora in a bikini, walking arm in arm down the street. You know, people just sort of stop whatever they're doing and look, because this one was in Giallo Modernese, which is a a multi-layer paint treatment in a kind of vibrating yellow. So not only was the car (laughs) loud audibly, it was loud visually um, as well. Uh, But i got to say, for... Any Italian car, and this is a Maserati, obviously, you're up in, in the top end. The quality of the thing is amazing. The interior is just a work of art. The leather, it's called Piano Fiore leather. It's, yep. it's soft, beautifully uh, treated. Super The fun. cross-stitching, the quilting, the, the, the um, yellow kind of um, stitching to, to pick that out. Absolutely beautiful. You would swear it was top, top end German, you know, in the, in the way it has been done. Big 22-inch rims, things like a 17-speaker 
1280 watt Bowers and Wilkins stereo. You could basically have the glass vibrating if you chose to. Um, it's all wheel drive and it'll go zero to 100 in under four seconds. So it, it's just an extraordinary vehicle. What's the, um, what's the sticker price, JC? Yeah, just under, just four. under 400 grand before you put it on the road. Jeebus. Okay. Wow, 100 grand, 100 grand per second to 100 kilometers an hour. That's fantastic. It yeah. is. And, you know, those it's a, seats are so lovely, a, you just want to rub your cheeks against them oh, rather than drive them. Like, the soft. whole interior. Oh. If, if you want to impress your friends, all you've got to do is open the door to that car. It is yeah. absolutely beautiful, magnificent. And you've got a little, um, like, glass roof in the top. Not little, actually, quite sizable. Um, and once you open that up and let the light in, it's just so special. Is that the, would that be the most powerful Maserati they've got then at the moment, JC? I think yeah. And look, when you open up the bonnet, it, talk about impressing your friends. When you're down at the country club, ready to you know play a round of golf or whatever you do when you own one of these cars, <laughs> cracking, cracking the bonnet open, it's it's beautifully red, like a red crackle finish on the actual hard parts of the engine, yeah. with a magnificent carbon fibre cover over the top of the plenums on the top of the engine. The little V8 badge, you knew it, and the Maserati Trident and all of that. The, the styling of the engine bay is quite special as well. So it's, um, it's, it's quite a car. Look, it's not my cup of tea for various reasons. I don't have the money, quite obviously. But um, <laughs> for those that are into that kind of very high-profile, very fast five-seat SUV, it's pretty special. Now, and it must sell well, the business too. But one, one thing about Maseratis is even even when they're not as engineeringly yeah. sharp as some super Italians, they always yeah. sound the absolute business. Well, you've got your sports setting and then you've got your Corsa setting. Now, I didn't spend much time in Corsa because it does tend to soften off the traction control and those kinds of things. And I don't want to go there on the road, really. If yeah. you're going to pound your Levante around the circuit, do it there. Yeah. But it does deepen the, the voice of the engine. And even though there are two turbos there, they've managed to get enough exhaust past those and it, to make this barking, bellowing sound. Yeah. It's really Sounds quite, good. really quite amazing. Yeah. 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 Now, can I ask you no, a question, not a, JC? What's sorry, Stephen? You go first because I'm going yeah, off go. traffic. I was going to say it's not a, it's not a competition, but you have inspired me to go out and plug my car in because once I plug it in, I'll have 504 kilowatts and <laughs> 70 newton meters, and I will beat your ass. <laughs> all right, well, I'll go and I'll an electric motor. I'll get an electric motor, put it in the Maserati, hook it all up, and I'll go, you know, 550 plus. I love, I love that that's Porsche's motivation for, for plugging it in. If you want more power, plug it in. So, Jason, oh, yeah. what, what are we looking good, at behind you? Uh, this one, that's, this one the, yeah. that's the sixth member of my family. That's a, <laughs> uh, a 1969 Merc 280SE Coupe. Oh, that I've had, I've had for the last 20-odd years. So I'm in my shed. Um, Mal, Mal inspired me to, uh, to occupy the shed. He's, he's got room for about 10 cars yes, in his. Yes, he certainly does. But we, wow. we've just got the family structure in that one. But, uh, yeah, thank you for asking. But it's now, a new, uh, I only have photos of cars. <laughs> All I have is photos. <laughs> I don't have actual cars. It's a nice car, though. It's a nice photo, Steve. Nice um, but speaking of nice cars, uh, it's time for Musk Watch. Musk Watch. Right, so it's, look, it's been a big week uh, for the dear leader. He, he has basically guidelines is near San Francisco in California 
Um, and Clean Technica, which is typically a site that's pretty pro uh, Tesla and Elon Musk, has um, published an opinion piece by a guy called Steve Henley. Random thoughts on Elon Musk, the Fremont factory, Liberty and the coronavirus. And he starts it off in a fairly provocative way by saying, for years I've had a sneaking suspicion that Elon Musk is an arrogant ass. Um, so I thought that was a pretty, he's setting the scene as it were. He runs through things like calling autopilot autopilot and, and how reckless yeah. that might be, you know, yep. that, that it doesn't have the things that people may believe it has tweeting about the company's stock price, telling officials of Alameda County to take their public health directives and shove them is not the act of a wise man. No. Um, and he says, nor is threatened to move the company to another state. Both come across as the actions of a self-important, his words, not mine, jerk. Mm. Um, so in March, when the Alameda County um, in California, that's where Tesla headquarters uh, is, and they told everyone to shut their businesses down, Tesla stayed open and, in fact, delayed its shutdown for more than a week. Just, you know, come and get me. I'm, we're going to keep building these cars. Um, and Musk has forced his factory to reopen against those same stay-at-home orders. Um, and the, he's calling it government overreach. He's come out with all of this freedom. I want the freedom to do what I want to do. He's come overall Trumpy about it. Um, and all the other auto companies over in Michigan, they've been able to open up. So he's saying this is really, quote, to quote him, messed up um, yeah. but several tesla employees that the new york times spoke to uh said that um they were clearly of the view that he was putting profits before people that the, that the culture inside the business it felt like that's what he was doing to me it feels like he's just gone jc from being that kind of revolutionary change the world save the planet who exactly. just happens to make a lot of money to just being yeah. another Mr. Burns-style business leader. Dude who makes you know, a lot of money. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and he's um, one of the many people pushing the, they're pushing the American government to pass a law that will make it, make it legal for you to force your employees to go back to work and you can't yeah. be sued if they get coronavirus. They said so they won't pay any more money out, no more JobKeeper-style money unless they exempt all employers. And, and Trump is being sorry, Musk could be one of those. Just, well, uh, it's, it's, we were talking about it a little bit last week in that it's uh, – uh, our American viewers and listeners would be great to get their feedback, but it seems like a cultural difference and a fundamental one where in times like this, the, the hot focus on the Constitution and what that enables people to do and also dollars and cents and what that causes people to do in the, in the search for wealth and, you know, um, growth and all of those things, mm -hmm. it can put people's well-being in danger. Um, so yeah. it, it hasn't served America very well to this point through this whole coronavirus thing. Absolutely. Um, and there's, but, there's, a thing called, um, op, there's a thing called optimism bias, apparently, which Americans suffer from optimism bias. And you think about it, right. it makes sense. They are they're just generally more optimistic that we'll go back to work, everything will be fine. Whereas fine. in Australia, we go, well, we know that's not fine. I think we'd, we'd yes. rather not. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, on Twitter, a guy called Charles T. Barreca said to Elon, you're a big hit, supervillain status, congratulations. <laughs> And the meme, the meme cartoon is of a huge robotic musk. It looks a bit like the Tin Man out of, um, what do I want to say, Dorothy going back to Kansas. Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz, thank you. Pointing to the Tesla plant with workers saying, back to work, meat organisms. So, I mean, he, he is trying to connect computers to people's brains, all of that kind of stuff. It's bizarre. But to, to your point, Chesto, um, CNN Business has run a piece, an analysis piece, that mm -hmm. said, what happened to Elon Musk? And it's a trio of three writers at, at CNN. 
that have said he's changed from, you know, um, he came into the public consciousness about a decade ago. Um, and he was this quirky upstart putting batteries in a Lotus um, and just doing bizarre things. Uh, he definitely played the part of the new kind of CEO. I'm on Twitter and, you know, I'm yep. young and it's been happening and I've done this thing at PayPal and I'm, I'm a Tech Valley kind of person rather than a car guy. Um, engaged with fans, um, sought to redefine what fun in a car is through all mm -hmm. of the tech and, and whatever that's in it. And he grew Tesla into this, you know, enormous entity but he's become increasingly, just as you say, like Monty Burns, just sitting in his yeah. uh, tower um, wanting profits over people. And yeah. what they're saying is that with soaring unemployment, workers don't have much of a choice. That's to your point, Steve, that, right. that people can be boxed into a corner where they have to make a decision about whether they have food on the table or whether they put themselves in serious risk of ill health. Mm. It's terrifying. And he seems to I'm, be increasingly convinced, I'm increasingly convinced that that cartoon of yours is bang on. If you listen to I, I can't recommend highly enough listening to Elon Musk on that Joe Rogan pod podcast. And, he, and he's incredibly intelligent and he has ideas about everything at all, but he's also a robot. Like he says, there's yeah. no emotion in his answers. So he can talk about things yeah. that would terrify you and things he's scared of. And he just expresses no emotion. He's just very flat, and very calm. And he, I don't think he sleeps. I don't think he his eats. face is like a mask. A anyway. he, doesn't, he, doesn't have a, <laughs> he doesn't have a lot of facial expression. That, uh, it's like Michael Schumacher, but even more frightening. <laughs> <laughs> well, more dangerous. To, to try, I think in an attempt to try and lighten the mood, he tweeted <laughs> out a picture. He tweeted out a picture saying, ice cream sundae in a martini glass, and then underneath, life should be lit, right? So that's part of his political and, and social uh, philosophy. Um, so I first thought, right, so that's living, is it? That, that's your idea of, of living a good life, is to <laughs> chow into this horrendous-looking ice cream thing in a martini glass. But, but then the, the, it turned out pretty rapidly that he'd nicked the photo and used yeah. it without credit, which is he's a serial offender on this. Yeah. I think he sees the internet as just this public domain where everything is available to everyone, and that, that's yeah. another philosophy he seems to have. But yeah. the final straw... Yeah, probably. It will. He, in a sense, it will when he rings the globe with um, little satellites yeah, with to bring yeah. uh, internet to all. He probably will. Um, the final straw on Twitter said, image was taken in Santa Monica in 2017 by Episodic Eater. So, and it had been shared with an Italian restaurant chain in the US called Buca de Beppo that same year. So, as usual, um, that's what the final straw says. As usual, Elon Musk's version of living life is to steal it from others. <laughs> so he's, he's nicked all kinds of stuff without crediting the creator yeah, or the author. Turns out it's a food blogger called The Episodic Eater, and her name's Diane. And so on Twitter, she showed the raw image without any watermark. So it's my picture, um, and everybody knew that it was. Um, and Isaac Newton, nice Twitter handle there, um, said, good engineers use aluminium, great engineers steal. So that, that, that pun pretty much sums up, uh, I think, Elon's approach to, to what's yeah, going on. But we, we were talking earlier about the share price off air, I think. So it's at $803, a fraction over $803, and it was $780 last week. So in a week, it's effectively, it's put on another $20. Yeah. But I think, um, Steve, this is something you're referencing. Barron's, um, a finance-focused site in the U.S., has said 
Tesla won the battle to reopen its Fremont factory because they did. The Alameda County came around. They reached a, a point of settlement and, and the factory is open, of course. Um, but why it could still lose the war? And that is because, you know, he won the battle, but reopening could expose him to liability from potentially adverse health outcomes. Mm-hmm. That he might get the sausage machine working again and, and cars are coming out the other end. But um, if people get sick, that could be a bigger cost for him altogether. Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. he, he threatened to move it, didn't he, JC, to Texas or something? To Texas. He, yeah, well, yeah, look, yeah. He's trying If you look at his Twitter feed, all kinds of states in the US were saying, come and visit us. Come yeah. over here. We'll make it worth your while. Really, we'll really. Kill, we'll kill your workforce. Come to us. Exactly. Yeah, we don't win it, man. We never got that um, in the first place. Now, but can I ask that, one, one yeah, yeah, question before it. we move on? Because I'm fascinated by the share price. So it was last. Yeah. It was last week, JC. You probably talked about this in the last pod, where he, yeah. he tweeted that he's over. That it's overvalued. The share price is too high, causing yes. a sort of mini plummet. So has the twenty dollar yes. increase put it back above where it was before he said that tweet? Sure. It has. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah. so part of the rationale allegedly was he wanted the share price to drop so that he he could acquire more shares himself. Um, And then hopefully, you know, the price comes back up. That's pure scuttlebutt. That's nothing that he's he's ever said. But that would be one rationale for why you would want to tweet that. Fair enough. But it is just vaguely illegal. Yeah, well, that's that's right. It is. And it's manipulation. And he'd he'd made all of these uh, commitments to the SEC that there would be an independent legal oversight on any tweet that may impact the share price. Um, And when he made that tweet, Chesto, he was asked flat out, I think it was by the Washington Post, did you have that tweet vetted? Um, And were you serious when you made that tweet? Um, It's serious, but he didn't have it vetted. He said no on Twitter. So he's potentially in hot water there again. But it has to be. Otherwise, it just shows the SEC to be toothless. Yeah. Who, who says my shares are overvalued? There's only no, one no. reason to do that, to drive the price down so you can buy more. Exactly. Why, why else would you do it? Like exactly. Gracious, mate. But I, I think, again, and you know, very wealthy people in the US seem to have a lot of leeway. They're given a lot of um, breathing room, latitude to do things that in other uh, countries, I reckon, would be slammed immediately. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, mm-hmm. There's yeah. just something about money and large amounts of it that lets you get away with yeah. With blue murder. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. All right. But with that, I... when, you, when you said when you when you said James, when you said that Elon Musk lightened the mood, I thought you were going to say he lightened the mood by calling his kid that thing, which I heard oh, this yeah. week is actually. Yeah. Um, I know how to pronounce it. You know, you've seen it written down. It's oh, yeah, actually yeah. pronounced password. Oh, is it? Strong oh. password. Well, you're kidding. Anyway, I, I think it's illegal that, think, in California I law. I think that's the world's worst gag, JC. Don't, I can see, don't <laughs> take that this seriously. <laughs> no, look, I'm concentrating on wrapping up the podcast. And Steve's JC's putting in trying bad to get jokes. out of here. <laughs> um, I, think, I think we have indeed reached the finish line. Um, thank you, Steve. And no thank you, Chester. Thank you, everybody. Um, and, and thanks to our engineer-in-chief, wizard and part-time mall Santa. Mr. Pritchard, for his <laughs> ongoing ability to turn trash into podcast treasure. Today, he's in his Golden Arches French fries T-shirt, fully fat dance pants and furry neon green platform boots that turn purple under black light in the club. Nice. Uh, what, a, what a story. What a story. <laughs> Please pass on the word about the podcast and let us know your thoughts by searching for Cars Guide on Facebook and Instagram using the hashtag CGPodcast or email us at comments at carsguide.com.au. 
If you're an iTunes listener, please rate and review us. And remember, you can watch us on YouTube. But before we go, fueled up this week, went in to pay, standing near the cash point, and there was a cross on the floor telling me where I should stand. But I've watched enough Roadrunner cartoons to know that is a bad idea. <laughs> I like that one, oh. JC. I'm on board that one. <laughs> bad. Bad. Good idea. Cold. <laughs>